Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And if you go on the website, veritascatholic.com, veritascatholic.com, there will be a place for you to provide some feedback. Let us know what we're doing right let us know what we're doing wrong and everything in between we certainly would appreciate that and if you'd like to help out joe and i you could follow us on youtube at the frontline tv or our website thefrontlinetv.com thefrontlinetv.com now one of the things that joe and i try to do is we try to um get other uh catholics out there who are publishing books um and have something very important to say and we want to highlight those things and we have a conversation usually you just Joe, you'll say that we try not to get those authors in too much trouble by, by being on our show. Uh, however, you know, we try and uh, hopefully we succeed. Uh, but today, we, uh, or I should say that one of the um, publishing houses that we, um, we're, that we have a relationship with is Sophia Institute Press. So we've had a number of authors from Sophia Institute Press. Um, and today, we're going to be talking with Kristen Van Uden, and she's going to be discussing a couple of the authors at Sophia Institute Press and their books. So we're going to be talking about Father A.G. Sertolangis. Uh, he wrote two books, What Jesus Saw from the Cross and also 33 Years in the Holy Land, What Jesus Saw from Bethlehem to Golgotha. And the second book is by Father Gerald Van, The Pain of Christ and the Sorrow of God, Lenten, meditations. Um, now, most of you out there might not know who Kristen is, uh, and so I just want to give a brief bio. Kristen Van Uden received her MA in history from the College of William and Mary and her BA in history and Russian from St. Anselm College. She previously studied the persecution of Catholics under communist regimes. Kristen, that certainly makes you fit in with this show really, really well. I just want to say that. Maybe oh, we'll good. get into that a little bit. Here. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, she now researches topics in church history and contemporary Catholic discourse as author spokesperson for, as I said, Sophia Institute Press. She has been featured on Coast to Coast AM and the Federalist Kristen Van Uden. Welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Hi, Joe and Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Kristen, we're going to start with the prayer because all good things start with the prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as Joe said, Kristen works for Sophia Press. And to be honest, we've been on the air now uh, a year. And one of the reasons why we've succeeded is because of Sophia Press. And I'm not just saying that. They have been wonderful, very generous with our network as well as our show in giving us great authors. Um, and we try our best to communicate the messages of those books. And that's what Kristen does. She's the spokesperson for authors. We're going to talk about three very important books for Lent. Um, as we know, you know, Lent is a time to reflect. And I think these books are great reads, things that you should go and buy. Because to be honest with you, uh, spiritual reading definitely draws us closer to Christ. The first book we're going to talk about is what Jesus saw from the cross. And uh, in 
doing research for this interview, uh, I saw a recommendation from it from Father Benedict Rochelle. I mean, I actually, I don't want to say I knew him personally, but I didn't meet him a number of oh, times. Wow. I thought he was a very holy man. And Frank, frankly, I think he'll one day become a saint. That's my personal opinion. And he uh, reviewed this book and he said, this book is like a visit to the Holy Land 2000 years ago. That that really, I think, is something, you know, a, a real interesting comment, because it's one thing to go to the Holy Land. It's another thing to, to say that it's going there 2000 years ago in the time of Christ. Could you speak to that, Kristen, and give our listeners listeners a little idea of what he was talking about. Sure. So Father Serdolanges, who wrote this book, was actually a Holy Land pilgrim himself. So he often traveled to the Holy Land. He actually spent an entire year there. And that's when this book was actually written, when he was present in the Holy Land. So he was so, um, you know, just marinated in the culture of the Holy Land and the geographic sites themselves. Um, he made the 12 stations of the cross on Good Friday in the actual places where our Lord's passion occurred. Um, and so he thought that that was such an important experience and something that all Catholics, of course, dream of doing one day, but especially now with travel restrictions and, and you know, financial restrictions and who knows what else, it's <laughs> seemingly a far off dream for many of us. But he thought that this experience of being in the Holy Land and being surrounded by the landscape that Christ himself experienced during the Passion was so important for Catholics that he thought that he would write a book that is the next best thing to, to taking a pilgrimage yourself. Um, the way he organizes this book is really interesting because he uses as his basis what the title is, literally what Jesus saw from the cross. So from his vantage point outside the city, it's actually, it was quite shocking to me how much Jesus could physically see of the landscape of his ministry in the city. Um, the site of the crucifixion was outside the gate of Ephraim, which is on the east side of the city. So this is why we have... Um, during the mass, traditionally, it was said what's known as ad orientum, which means facing east, so facing the location of the crucifixion, essentially. Um, so it was at the east of the city on the hill of Golgotha, but Christ himself was facing west. So he was looking into the city, over the city walls. Um, from there, he could see the temple, so his father's house, basically. Um, but it was kind of a bittersweet thing to be able to see the temple because of course he had been rejected by the temple leaders, which is why the crucifixion was even happening. Um, <clears throat> the father then goes through basically the events of the passion from the last supper all the way up until his death and describes how each of these sites was visible in a way from the cross. So the upper room, um, he posits a location for that that was actually visible from Golgotha. Um, the Mount of Olives would have been, I think he says it is, it was blocked by a building, but the location was somewhere that Jesus would have known where it was as he was looking out. Um, Christ's tomb, where he would be later laid to rest and then resurrect from, was also within his eye shot from the cross. Um, and then, of course, Father discusses the people who were there. So his loved ones, um, most apostles didn't even stay. We know St. John was the only one of the 12 who was at the foot of the cross. Um, of course, his mother and Mary Magdalene. Um, the passerby, those who were kind of um, just neutral about what was going on, one of whom was Simon, of course, who was made to carry the cross, even though he had no no stake in the matter, um, and then his enemies, who he was practically surrounded by. So you really get a feel for um, what exactly the physical experience was like. Um, it really is a supplement to the Gospels. And the way that I read this, it was kind of like watching the movie of The Passion of the Christ, except for reading it. And uh, if you're anything like me, like that movie is amazing. And a two hour, um, just really like, I would, I would consider it a prayer to watch it. But to have this in, in book form um, with the same sort of narrative style, allows you to spread out your experience of the passion over your Lent, you know, maybe read a chapter a night or a couple chapters a week, something like that. Um, and I think it sinks in more um, when you're reading it from the page as well. Mm. So you know, it's fun. That, Kristen, 
I'm sorry. No, no, please, Joe. I was going to say, you know, I'm a big rosary guy, Kristen, and it's funny you mentioned the passion. When I pray my rosary, I actually think of the images from that movie. Also, another movie that I think about is from the Nativity. Um, It wasn't from a Catholic lens, but I liked it. I thought it was well done, and I think of that often when I pray my rosary and and a book like this along with movies like that I think you know as as you know people are have image we're image driven you know what I'm saying you know obviously you reflect from the word in the scripture and from each mystery but like an image uh helps and frankly Mm -hmm. it could help you put you in that situation um and meditate on it and and it only I think to be honest with you gets you deeper into your prayer Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things that distinguishes the Catholic Church from other Protestant sects, for example, is our emphasis on imagery. Um, Of course, with the Great Schism with uh, the Eastern Orthodox, there was this um, iconoclasm where icons were destroyed for um, the heretical reasons that they they claimed that they were being worshipped. But of course, we know we don't worship the images, we use them as an aid to prayer. Um, This is later emphasized in other Protestant religions, like Puritanism especially, was incredibly iconoclastic and would not allow any what they referred to as graven images of, of holy people or events. But mm-hmm. as Catholics, we understand the importance of imagery. Um, an icon is literally a, you know, an image of the divine. We don't worship that absolute, that piece of wood, but we use it as a conduit to God. Um, he made us with our five senses, and he understands that these are good things. We are sacramental beings in that we're not just a soul like angels. We also have a body, and that is how we experience the divine. Um, mm-hmm. Sacramentality is the principle behind why we receive the Eucharist physically as Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity. Uh, it's the principle really behind the incarnation, why God became man physically and undertook our entire um <clears throat> existence with our body and and all that that entails except for sin so yes i agree it's especially when saying the rosary um at sophia we actually just came out with some joyful mysteries puzzles uh which calls to mind those um to meditate on while saying the rosary which is something that i've been using for my own prayer aid lately um because before that i would just usually find a video on youtube or look at some sacred art um because it really helps you to connect in a very a visceral way, a non-cerebral way. Of course, we can think as much as we want. We can um, <clears throat> we can read. We can read the Gospels, attend Mass. But the the visual aids of sacred art, especially, um, and then the images that are conjured in your mind through reading something that is written like a novel are second to none in um, connecting you to God. Mm-hmm. Well, Kristen Van Uden is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Lenten Meditations is one of the things we're talking about. We're discussing three books that were published by Sophia Institute Press. Uh, we're talking about uh, two books by Father A.G. Sertolanges, What Jesus Saw from the Cross, which we're still talking about. That's what we started with. Uh, 33 Years in the Holy Land, What Jesus Saw from Beth- Bethlehem to Golgotha. And then the third book is The Pain of Christ and the Sorrow of God. Lenten Meditations by Father Gerald Van, all published by Sophia Institute Press. So we're talking, uh, Kristen, about what Christ saw from from the cross, and uh, we're also we got into a topic with the subject of images. You know what what we see. Okay, so uh, Saint Mother Teresa spoke highly about this book, and she said the reader will find comfort in the tender love revealed in the sorrowful face of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's what we see. Let's say if you were at the foot of the cross, you're seeing the sorrowful face, this face, this face that's in anguish and pain. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about that. Uh, why? Uh, how so? Let's say um, in, in terms of what Saint Mother Teresa was talking about. Yeah, and that's important that she she brings it up using those words because the holy face devotion is uh, a very important devotion. I know Saint Therese of Lisieux is uh, very devoted to the holy face. It comes from the image left on the Shroud of Turin. Um, and so we can even gaze upon Christ's face right after the crucifixion ourselves uh, by by having a devotion to the holy face. But um, I really think that the way in which the author is able to incorporate Jesus's holy face is through his narrative style. Um, 
reading the gospels of course is very important but there's a lot that the gospels leave room for the imagination to supply and that's what he does in this book is to really use a narrative style it's not written in the first person but it is written from christ's perspective of course because he is the subject what he saw from the cross so you have passages that really um he just has a way with words where he has the ability to place you in that moment and um not only incorporate the scenery and potential feelings that christ would be experiencing at that time but um to also put those in comparison to what we know from the gospels already so i think that it's this is why spiritual reading in addition to the gospels is so important because that human emotional connection can sometimes be lost if we don't bring ourselves connected in an emotional way to these stories um and of course this has to be supplemented by prayer um and other lenten devotions but i think that using spiritual reading as a supplement to the facts that we know that we hear at church every sunday um helps us to really kind of ingest what happened more so than than we would just reading the gospels mm. Kristen, before we talk about the fellowship of catholic scholars um because they commented on i just want to just make a general comment it is mm -hmm. so refreshing to hear a young woman like yourself talk about like honest to God. And I wanted just to say that it's impressive <laughs> because to be truthful with you have, you have quite a resume um, and you're doing something that's just so positive. And I think it's the fruit of the new evangelization. Talk about that. Like your generation coming from St. An Anselm's college. I've heard a lot about it. Actually, I know a gentleman who went there, uh, He's a little oh. bit older, but he's a very good Catholic. Talk mm -hmm. about like your generation, what you're doing out there, um, mm -hmm. because to be honest with you, it's inspiring. And I think people need to hear that because the church is forever new and you represent mm -hmm. that. Talk a little bit about that, because um, I think it, it'll definitely inspire our listeners. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Joe. That's great to hear. Um, all for the greater glory of God. But yeah, I'm lucky to be a cradle Catholic. So I was raised Catholic. I attended Catholic school all from, from preschool through college. So what is that, like 18 years, uh, 25, 24 years, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, it was always just part of the air that I breathed. So we had theology classes. Uh, we attended mass. I remember at my middle school walking in, in our two lines and our uniforms down to the cathedral and downtown Manchester. So um, we were so lucky that we we learned about the world and God's creation through the Catholic lens, through, you know, even science, you know, we kept in the back of our mind, this is God's creation. And then, of course, history was supplemented by church history. So I had a very solid Orthodox foundation. Um, I think discovering Eucharistic adoration quite early on helped a lot, um, just spending time time with the Blessed Sacrament. Um, in later years, I have been personally quite inspired by the traditional Latin Mass, so it's where I was today. Um, I'm just really drawn in by the beauty and truth of the, the ancient traditions of the Church and how every single part of the Mass has its basis in Scripture um, and in the, the teachings of the Church Fathers. Um, like, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example, but even, even the ancient Jewish priests' rites are our parent in the mass. And so that has for me been a really um, great addition to my spirituality that is really founded on now. And I find, I'm finding a lot of young people have the same um, attraction. I say also the rosary is indispensable. Um, <laughs> like, like you guys know, um, five if you can or more decades per day, just to keep you on track on the basic, I think, forget which saint says it, that if you, are not busy uh 30 minutes of prayer is required if you are busy make it an hour so <laughs> just remembering uh, especially for my generation with social media especially there's so much in the world that is trying to draw us away from god um there we are we're growing up in this digital age which is so different i really wish it wasn't the case i'm very much an old soul myself and would prefer letters and phone calls even <laughs> um to texts and, and twitter and all of that and so it's well, a unique challenge for, for but, we, our but we but we could use the technology in other words if yeah. the devil if the devil could use the technology for his purposes then god could use it for his 
and God That's uses right. it through cool. people like us. And I'll tell you another thing, Kristen, you know, we're, jo Joe and I are a couple of angry goombas from New Jersey, okay? <laughs> when we do our social media, the veins usually pop out of our heads when we're talking yeah. about the culture war, when we're talking about uh, the politics out there. And sometimes the reason why I'm bringing it up, Kristen Van Uden, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, is that all seems hopeless. Then mm -hmm. we meet somebody like you. <laughs> and then we say, you know what? No, it's not. Then you look at the pictures of the of the March for Life, okay? Mm -hmm. And all the young people there. No, just that you guys don't get the press because the press doesn't like you, all right? Because yeah, the, the press the doesn't like us. Right. What's that? The March for Life is the, the biggest event every year that's never covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's never, it's, it's never covered. It's almost almost like it doesn't exist. But Christian Van Uden is joining us at the, at the front line with Joe and Joe. We are discussing three books, Father A.G. Sertolange's What Jesus Saw from the Cross and 33 Years in the Holy Land. And we will be getting into the 33 Years in the Holy Land in a couple of minutes. And Father Gerald Van, The Pain of Christ and the Sorrow of God. One more comment, Kristen, if you don't mind. Uh, right. The Fellowship of Catholic Scholars Quarterly had this to say about Father Sertolange's book, What Jesus Saw from the Cross. Um, let me just find it here. A, quote, a book to be reread, studied, and used as a springboard for further thought on the matter. Why are they right? Yeah, well, that I think it goes back to the concept of meditation. So we think we know the story of the Gospels. We've heard them every year. We, we know what happens during the Passion. We pray on it. But... We are called, especially saying the rosary, to meditate on the very same mysteries, you know, every day, almost every day um, that goes through the cycle of the mysteries. But it's it's not about just memorizing the facts of what's happened. It's about really delving deep into incorporating the virtues that Christ espoused throughout his life into our own lives, um, understanding his sacrifice for us and just growing in gratitude and humility. Um, and that's why... It, it, the truth bears repeating. So when we meditate on the same thing over and over again, it's not because we get bored of it, but it's because that is how truth is. Uh, truth is constant. And um, especially truth as a person, Jesus Christ, he is worth all of our thoughts, um, every single one of them. And when you think of the good and true and beautiful things in life, like a marriage, for example, that is something that you choose one person and you stay with that one person forever. You're not constantly looking for new stimulus and stuff like that. You are understanding um, that this, this one person is the choice and it's blessed by God. Um, and, that, and that is sort of the, a way to conceptualize our relationship with, with these gospel accounts. Um, in terms of using it as a springboard for further meditation, you can delve deep, but then it is also an interesting way to connect to other accounts of the Gospels. So I know many mystics throughout the church's history have had visions of the Passion. One that comes to mind that especially inspired me was Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich. Um, she has visions that really go into very granular detail about what happened, um, including the, <clears throat> the, the Last Supper. Um, of course, it was Passover at the time that Christ was crucified, and so there's speculation, of course, that the past, that the Last Supper was a Seder meal, and at that meal, they would have uh, slaughtered a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, and brought it to the room and consumed it, and she expresses in her vision seeing the lamb and how closely it resembled Christ because the lamb would have been tied onto a piece of wood that actually looked like a cross, and of course, that's what he was to experience the very next day, so when you delve deeper into these accounts, they're all, of course, consistent with what we know already, but they become richer and deeper. Um, it's like sort of baking the same loaf of bread again and again. You finally, you get it to a point where it's um, it's almost perfect. And that is how we can approach our meditation on, on the mysteries. Joe Arsinello, where are we headed? Let's talk about the second book by Father Sertolanges, uh, 33 Years in the Holy Land, What Jesus Saw from Bethlehem to Golgotha. In this book, the reader will experience a richly textured moment-by-moment -moment account of the incredible events of Christ's life from Nativity to Golgotha. What immediately jumped out in my head here, I mean, from Bethlehem to Golgotha, most of Christ's life we don't know about. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it was hidden. It's amazing, actually, if you think about that. 30 years, completely hidden. Uh, does the book talk a little bit about that? It does, yes. And so that's funny because that's actually the title of that chapter is The Hidden Life of Jesus. And um, 
what Father really emphasizes is how this reflects Jesus's humility in his life, that he did not try to distinguish himself when he was living in Nazareth. Part of becoming truly man was to accept the God-given order of the family. So he was obedient to his parents, which we see especially in the mystery of the um, the finding in the temple, for example. He worked alongside his, his foster father, St. Joseph. He learned, um, he, father actually uses the word he studied, and then he talks about study, strange word to apply to Jesus. Yet we, we must remember Jesus, while truly God, was really man and had in consequence an intellect capable of progress. So he, he did have to grow up and to um, experience childhood in the way that that anyone else would. Um, of course, it's a great mystery why uh, God kept him so insulated during this time, something we just have to meditate on and, and learn to accept. But his entire hidden life was in preparation for his ministry as well. And so um, Father Sitter Longbees really connects this to um, developing the virtues that would be tested and put to the test when he began his ministry. Um, humility, number one, of course, there's temperance, patience. Um, <clears throat> of course, he was the perfection of all virtues. But yeah, it's like one of those things where you would love to get more details about and the tradition of the church has handed down um, so much in terms of legends and um, <clears throat> traditions of what Christ uh, experienced during that time. But yeah, what, what comes through the most is is the a period of development of virtue and preparation for what he was put on the earth to do. You mentioned humility. And like mm -hmm. I, I like Mother Teresa said, I could understand Christ's divinity, but I could never understand his humility. If you really think about it, humility is the foundational virtue of them all. Because to understand God, you must kneel before God, and that takes humility. But what I have found in my own life is hum Mother Teresa also said you learn humility through humiliation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't even want to think about that because no one likes to be humiliated. God knows I'm humiliated a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but needless to say, we'll, we'll leave that person. for another show. But like, <laughs> it's something you can't like you learn through living. You know, mm -hmm. like I have five kids. We live in a very modest home. Um, and there's, there's it, I, I, a priest, a good friend of uh, Joe and mine, uh, Father Lewis said, your house is like a school, like, because like kids, they interact, you have one TV, you, you share things like that can't be taught. And humility mm -hmm. for Christ was learned in his family. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were simple people. He was the king of kings. I mean, and he lived in a very simple home. Talk about that virtue, because to be honest with you, I think that's the key to Christ. The humble find God. Um, and frankly, we don't see it a lot. We don't see it. I mean, I go on social media, Kristen, I, and, and to be honest with you, pride creeps in. You know, yep. uh, it really does. And, and I, I find what keeps me humble are my kids and my wife. And frankly, I see my own shortcomings, like mm -hmm. to be truthful with you. And that keeps me humble. Talk about the importance of that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That real life is what brings us humility. I think um, first to comment on your observation about social media is that, yes, you are kind of this anonymous, often uh, just avatar of yourself that is um, impenetrable and will never be defeated and is always right and can just block anyone who disagrees. But when you're in real life, you have to reckon with the person in front of you and you have to have a true encounter with another human being with an immortal soul. And that really makes you question um, your own conduct. And that's why, of course, like you said, growing up in the family, especially bigger families, you have plenty of opportunities to <laughs> um, undergo humiliation for the glory of God. Uh, there is, I think it's St. Alphonsus, the litany of humility, if anyone's ever heard of that. It's a yeah. very difficult prayer to say. <laughs> you have to ask that, for example, others be esteemed ahead of you, um, right. which is just is very in, in conflict with our, our modern sensibilities. Um, but really, when you think of the ultimate act of humility, it is Christ dying as a criminal when he is literally God put on the earth and we killed him. <laughs> when the greatest possible thing that ever happened ended in him being 
blasphemed. Uh, he was accused of blasphemy and he couldn't even stand up for himself. Like how often are we accused of things we didn't do or misinterpreted or misunderstood? And and he just took that all in stride. Um, Chris, Kristen Van Uden, we want you to hold that thought just for a moment. Okay. Uh, I apologize, but it's radio and we do have to take a break. Um, but for those of you out there just joining us, stick around. We're having a great conversation with Kristen Van Uden from uh, Sophia Institute Press discussing the first book we discussed was Father A.G. Sertolange's What Jesus Saw from the Cross. The second one is 33 Years in the Holy Land, What Jesus Saw from Bethlehem to Golgotha. We're talking about that now. We're going to continue after the break. And the third is Father Gerald Van, The Pain of Christ and the Sorrow of God. You're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Stick around. We're going to come right back. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, and we are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, and we are having a great conversation with Kristen Van Uden from Sophia Institute Press. We're discussing what Jesus saw from the cross and 33 years in the Holy Land, two books written by Father A.G. Sertolanges, and The Pain of Christ and the Sorrow of God, Lenten Meditations by Father Gerald Van. So please, Kristen, continue that thought about uh, the ultimate example mm -hmm. of humility, which is God himself allowing the creature to nail him to a cross. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So as Joe was saying before the break, humility is really the king of all virtues from which all others stem. And so, of course, naturally, Christ would be the king of humility. Um, <clears throat> his entire life, starting from his hidden childhood throughout his ministry, that is the main virtue that comes across. And, and of course, he encompassed all the virtues, but his humility is the one that is most difficult for us to accept and really most difficult for his apostles to accept, too. Um, I've recently been reading this other book about modern Eucharistic miracles and how doubt in the um, the teaching of the real presence and the teaching of the Eucharist was something that inflicted some of the, the apostles that was actually when Judas started to have doubts about Christ is when he instituted or spoke of instituting the Eucharist ahead of the Last Supper. Because when you think about what happens when we receive the Eucharist, Jesus has made himself so humble as to be contained in this tiny host, which is vulnerable, which can be um, desecrated, it can be dropped. Um, and in this book that, that Sophia just published, Cardiologist Examines Jesus, they actually examined several times when the host was dropped, and then when put under the microscope, was observable as heart tissue that was suffering. So desecration of the Eucharist could, kind of contributes to Christ's suffering on the cross. Um, and that's a great expression of his humility that continues to this day. But of course, that itself is an expression of his sacrifice on the cross, where he, knowing that he was the creator of the universe, allowed creatures, like you said, who he says they, they know not what they do, but some of them um, who condemned him, of course, knew and were just uh, through their pride unwilling to accept him. Um, but he, he allowed that to happen because he knew that what would come of it would be the redemption of mankind and it was God's will. So that's one of the hardest prayers to pray other than the litany of humility is the complete resignation to God's will. Um, I've been really looking into what's called the surrender novena lately. I'm not sure if you mm -hmm. guys tried that one. Yeah, Father Rotolo. Um, 
Yeah, my and, my my wife says my wife says we're 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 praying that one. I said, okay, I I need <laughs> I need to surrender to Christ. So you know, my wife finds all the novenas, and and I and every time she finds, them, I say, yeah, I kind of need that. Like the the, <laughs> the you know the the, the uh, litany of humility. I prayed exactly. that the surrender novena. I prayed that. Thank God. That's why the Lord brought my wife into my life because yes, I needed exactly. to pray all these prayers just to kind of. Humble me a little bit. I'm sorry, Kristen. I, just, I felt the need to cut you off to let everybody know. But, you know no, thank God great. for my wife. She she provides me with all these prayers. Perfect. Yeah, it's really it's a it's a scary thing to be humble though because it you have to have a radical trust in God and introspecting. A lot of us are not willing to take that leap. Um, you know, we it, it's difficult. We want to manage our lives. We think we have an idea, even of what God wants for us, but he will arrange things in our lives so that uh, you know what you thought you wanted sometimes becomes impossible and, and vice versa. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, just practicing trust, um, I think stems from humility because it's a, it's a moving aside of your own will and your own ego, um, in some cases to accept that of God's. Um, and so that, that is why it is the greatest of the virtues because it's the hardest to attain. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's it's the hardest to incorporate into your life. Um, but that's why meditating, especially on the crucifixion, is is a great way to say, well, if Jesus could do it and he was God, then so can you. <laughs> that's right. 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 We're we're talking about 33 years in the Holy Land, what Jesus saw from Bethlehem to Golgotha. Um, and this is definitely a read that you should uh look into this Lent. You said something, Kristen, that that really struck me. You said that his own apostles didn't understand him, yet he didn't give up on them. And that I think is important, and I want to explore that a little bit. You see, we as Catholics are in the world. I mean, you know, Joe and I uh do this, but we have nine to fives to um to support our family i mean and not everyone's on the same page it's about being patient with people christ was patient with his apostles it's like a father like i think of my own dad god rest his soul um when i was coming up and i wasn't like you i'll be honest with you i didn't take the route i i, I became i made a conscious decision at 22 i'm 51 now to be catholic it's almost 30 oh, years wow. uh but I was Catholic, but I didn't live it. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, I said to myself, think about events. My father should have killed me, like <laughs> killed me in all honesty with, with the way I behaved, but he didn't because he sees the arc of life. Well, Christ saw the arc with his apostles. He knew where they were going to go. He knew that they were going to fail him. He let them fail mm -hmm. him. How important is that for us? Like when we are in the world, we're so quick. And I say, maybe not you, I am. I'm quick to look at people's faults, to, to jump on them, you know, in conversations with my wife. Uh, but God is patient. Talk about that, because that is definitely something that took place from Bethlehem to Golgotha. Christ was patient with his mm -hmm. own brothers, knowing that they were going to deny him. Right. Yeah, well, two important things to remember from Christ's perspective is that, number one, he sees things in eternity. So he knows what's going to happen before it happens, and he loves them anyway. Um, and number two is, is that forgiveness, of course, is is central. It's e even in the Lord's Prayer, and you are we're called to forgive before the trespass is even, even committed often. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, it is, it is really shocking and telling to read back through the gospels and to realize that only one apostle is at the foot of the cross others stayed away and didn't necessarily approach the level of judas obviously but they they were afraid they let their fear control them and they didn't follow him unto death um the this is why really it, the biggest realization that will free you as a catholic is that as a catholic we are all called to martyrdom be it red or white. A lot of us just get away with white martyrdom. We can just suffer in the world, um, be made fun of by people who don't understand the faith, for example, or lose friends over it or other little slights throughout the day. But ultimately, we are called to, if asked, give up our lives for Christ. Um, St. John was called the martyr in will, but not in body, because he did stay at the foot of the cross. So that's why throughout the rest of his life, he, he lived to old age. He was not actually martyred. The rest of the apostles did suffer actual physical martyrdom. Um, so they, it, I think 
it is because of that forgiveness that Christ accepted them back, um, that they were growing in strength and able to see it through to the end, um, at the end of their lives, that, you know, if, if Christ had vilified Peter for his denial at the crucifixion, then Peter may have gone the way of Judas, you know, but instead you see Christ's love for him that emboldens him to, to finally have the courage to, to face his own martyrdom. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's, uh, and then you, we have to remember too, that Jesus chose these men specifically. They were not just random. He, he knew their characteristics. He knew even their flaws and yet he still chose them. And he chose St. Peter who had denied him <laughs> at the, um, right before the crucifixion to be the, the Pope, the leader, the rock on which he would build the church. And so he knew what he was doing. Uh, of course, the church is a divine institution because it's protected by God and by the Holy Spirit. But um, from the very beginning, we can see that the men who are placed in charge uh, have struggles um, and that uh, patience that our Lord had for them, we have to extend not only um, to members of the church, but those who are coming along to the faith. And St. Francis de Sales says that you'll catch more flies with a pot of honey than with like gallons of vinegar. So <laughs> I think it's a great way to approach evangelization too. I think that's a great lesson for us, Kristen Van Newton, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Kristen is with Sophia Institute Press. We're talking about three books today. We're talking about, um, and we, Joe and I are basically calling this Lenten Meditations. We're talking about 33 years in the Holy Land and also what Jesus saw from the cross by Father Sertolanges. And then Father Gerald Van wrote The Pain of Christ and the Sorrow of God, which we're going to get into in a couple minutes. I just want to comment, um, Kristen Van Newton, that it's a great example for us because we've, we probably think in our minds that we chose to do this. Joe and I chose to, to be on the front line with Joe and Joe. You chose to be with Sophia Institute Press. We're trying to evangelize people. We have to remember we were chosen. Mm -hmm. We were chosen. For I look in the mirror and I say to myself all the time, why? Why, Lord? Yeah. All right, I, I'm, I am not a very good example to other people. Well, nor was Peter, you know, mm -hmm. nor was Peter who, who cut. Father Carapi used to say, Peter cut off a man's ear in the garden. Yeah. That's how rough he was, okay? So, right? you know, when you when you think about it, and I, I find, again, hope, I'm, I'm hopeful in that because I say, okay, stay humble because the Lord forgives you your sins. Keep going to confession, keep praying. Okay. Because there's a larger purpose for which he chose all of us, all mm -hmm. the book publishers out there, all the podcasters out there, all the priests out there, everyone out there who's out there trying to evangelize the world as Christ told us to in the great commission. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Christ chose us. And I find it very encouraging that as you mentioned earlier, uh, at some point, every one of the apostles, um, abandoned Jesus in, in one way or another, and he mm -hmm. forgave them all. And he would have forgiven Judas had Judas asked mm -hmm. for it. You know, so people right. need to keep that in mind too. Uh, right. Joe Resinello, I think um, in the, we need to talk about Father Van's book, absolutely, um, because because of uh, time. So the book is Father Gerald Van. He wrote the pain of Christ and the sorrow of God. Lenten meditations. Joe, I'm handing it over to you. Well, in that book, uh, Father Van talks about the agony of the garden, uh, basically talking about our own struggles, sorrows, and sins. I want to just bring something out about that, because obviously I'm a big rosary guy, and, and we pray. Uh, that's the first sorrowful mystery. And I always think this, and I say this on the show a lot, Kristen. Christ prayed, Christ stayed. The apostles slept and they fled. And ultimately, if we're going to persevere, we have to pray. You see, this is what I get out of that. Um, and then I'd like you to basically elaborate on what Father Van talked about. But that's something I always think about for myself. I understand who I am. I know who I am. And I know I have to stay connected. Everything comes from God. And I'll tell you this, Kristen. I mean, we're a little older than you. And I said to Joe when we were given this show last year, I said, Joe, if the show is going to succeed, we have to become holy. Like, and I don't say that flippantly. How do you become holy? Anyone could become holy. You go to confession regularly. You pray regularly. You receive as often as you can. You read the scripture, you fast, and you'll become holy. Yeah. Like you will, and because you're connected. And that's what Christ did. He was in a moment of, of crisis and he prayed. The apostles slept and they ran. 
Talk about that for a minute, because I think that's something that we all could identify with, because here's the thing. Life is is tough. And, mm-hmm. and we're definitely salmon going upstream. You want to live like a Catholic in this life? Let me tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy. I got five kids. Diapers cost 50 bucks a box. You know what I mean? Like, I got to educate my kids, try to send them to Catholic school. All the craziness, I'm, I fear for them. You know, like, it's hard. Got to pray. Please talk about that. Yeah. I mean, the prescription is so easy from our Lord, isn't it? Like you said, pray fast, go to confession, make use of the sacraments. And, you know, that is the that is the path to holiness. Um, I think the devil often complicates our perception of holiness by thinking that it's unattainable. It's only for the greatest saints. But no, everyone is called to be holy. We're all called to be saints. We're all called to go to heaven. And uh, one of the things that, again, humility helps us to do is to understand that our degree of sanctity has been, you know, chosen by God. So he gives to some the graces to have mystic visions, but to others not. And to not aspire to that if that's not what you have been chosen to do, but rather to aspire to what he has placed in your path, like what you guys have done with the show. Um, and so, right, where how do we discern that? Number one is prayer. So, you know, there's several types of prayer. We, of course, have a duty to pray just to glorify God. This is why at the end of mass, we're meant to make a thanksgiving just for his sacrifice and just because he is God. Um, The greatest angels in heaven are at either side of the throne of God, just saying, holy, holy, holy over and over again. Um, In Hebrew, actually, this is interesting that the restating a word three times is how you say the superlative in Hebrew. So holy, holy, holy means holy est, like the most possible holy thing. Um, so the comparative would just be holy, holy, and then just an adjective would be holy. So when they say that, they are just over and over repeating the fact about God, that he is the holiest. Um, and so that is what we're called to recognize and then incorporate into our prayers as well. And then after that, of course, there are prayers of thanksgiving and then prayers of um, petition, which are the ones we most often associate with prayers where we're asking God for a specific thing, but as Jesus did in the agony of the garden, saying, ultimately, thy will be done. Um, and that's another very difficult thing to do is, again, to be completely resigned to the will of God. That in itself is an act of our will. Um, so even though we might not have the feelings that we want to pray or we're enjoying prayer or we you know, want to be resigned to the will of God, the church teaches that if we orient our will towards that end and just with the full force of our will, just say, thy will be done as as jesus did clearly he was in a lot of pain and it was not enjoyable for him to say that but it's the act of the will that empowers us to not be held captive to our feelings or to what's going on in the world um but to just simply say like this is a choice i have made and now it's in god's hands to see it through that's that yeah that's great christian van uden joining us here at the front line with joe and joe i i I would say this. I think about holiness sometimes, Kristen, because I say to myself, "Well, how can I be holy?" You know, mm-hmm. it's like you know, it's like, and I think I want to I want to say this for our audience because a lot of times people have a misconception of holiness, which means like all of a sudden we're all going to wa- wake up tomorrow and be able to walk on water. Um, I, I look at it this way to try to put it in its simplest terms: if I pray, or excuse me, when I pray consistently, mm-hmm. um, go to mass, stay close to confession, okay. Um, that I then have the grace to detach myself from the Mm -hmm. things of this world. Because that's really all that holiness is, is to say, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be attached to the things of this world. I want to be united with Christ. Mm -hmm. I want to be united with his church. I want to go to heaven. In other words, it's not like, again, you wake up one day and all of a sudden you you got a big H on your chest, like you're, you know, you're holy man, you know, like, and no, you just, you have a detachment from the things of this world through the grace given to you by Christ through his sacraments and prayer. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong in that? Just 30 seconds. <laughs> no, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And um, maybe somewhat counterintuitively, a good way to think of this is by meditating on the four last things. So death, judgment, heaven, hell. When you think at the end of your life, you won't be able to take any of your worldly success with you. Uh, St. Alphonsus speaks of a vision of hell that he had where a doctor who was an expert in his field had forgotten all of his knowledge there because all he could think of was the pain of being separated from God. So 
when we're here on earth, it's really empowering in a way to think that, yes, holiness is the state of being in the state of grace in accord with God's will. It has nothing to do with your accomplishments, with um, your state in life, with any of that. It's just complete surrender to God's will, and anyone can do that. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Joe, where did you want to go? Um, well, again, we're talking about Father Gerald Van's book, The Pain of Christ and the Sorrow of God, Lenten Meditations. This is a book you should go out and buy for, for your Lenten journey. Um, at, Sophia, at Sophia Institute <laughs> Press. Don't that's buy right, it that's anywhere right. else. At Sophia <laughs> Institute Press. We need to support our Catholic publishers. Please, not Jeff Bezos. We have to support <laughs> our Catholic publishers. Joe, I'm handing it back to you. <laughs> In the book, uh, Father Van talks about the stillness of Mary. And I want to talk about this because, like, one of the Beatitudes is to be gentle, to be meek. This is something I lack. Um, I do. And to be truthful to you, Mary is the example, the example. Obviously, we're men. We're not going to take it from the feminine perspective, but her virtues, stillness, um, to I, I always loved this image from the movie of the Passion. When Christ was on the cross, she took grain like in her hand because, mm -hmm. and then she lets it go. She lets it go. She accepts. Like that's like a stillness. It's I lack it. Um, talk about that because that's the path to God to accept all things, the good and the bad. A good nun told me that once, Kristen. She said. All things, Joe, come from the hand of God, God's permissive will, the good and the bad, all for your benefit. It's found in Mary, the stillness of her soul. This book teaches us that. How does Father Van communicate it? Yeah, if I, should, if I could actually read a quote from Father Van that I think encapsulates this perfectly. Please. He says, be still. The stillness and the silence of Mary are the signs not of defeat, but of intense and creative activity. Um, he goes on to say, there are times when outward busyness only makes matters worse, when though it may bring you your self-relief, it must be for the other at best ineffectual and at worst an additional exacerbation of, exacerbation of suffering. So again, he says, not of defeat, but of creative um, activity. So we were told that Mary experienced Christ's passion inwardly when he was experiencing outwardly. Since their souls were so united, she experienced along with him. So she suffered greatly. This is why she is actually revered as one of her many titles is Queen of Martyrs, because while, of course, she was not physically martyred, she basically underwent her son's passion because they were so spiritually united. Um, she was there the entire time. She never left his side. Her presence is so comforting to him. Uh, one of the stations of the cross we know is, is Jesus meets his mother, and the fact that she was there, of course, like when everyone else had left him, um, we can only imagine. And um, each of these priests, authors do, in fact, um, have lovely meditations on what that moment must have been like just emotionally and, of course, spiritually. But yes, this is an important reminder in every age, but especially in our world, which is obsessed with busyness and outward signs of existence. You have to prove that you're doing something, keeping up with the neighbors, etc. But Mary, just like Jesus was the greatest among anyone on the earth, of course, as God, but he was killed. Mary was, you know, second to God. She was the mother of God. She was the, she's the greatest woman to have ever lived. And she is just silently in the background. Um, her humility, of course, was just second to Christ's. Um, and this uniting herself spiritually to him was efficacious as well. Like she actually participated in the passion in that way. And so when we think of what, what we can do, we often want to, especially when we see things on the news, just go out to battle. But I think it's a clarion call to prayer, um, to never losing your peace um, and to reflection before any sort of action. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I saw this firsthand. I'm going to tell you a brief story. Um, now, Joe and I generally, we, we have things to do on Saturday morning. But before we started doing that, I was going down to uh, Planned Parenthood in mm. New York City, okay, uh, for mm. the first Saturday procession. And I'm only bringing this up to give an example of that stillness that, that mm. the two of you are talking about. 
in my view, and I don't, I'm not ashamed to say this. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying that I'm wrong. That when, when you're confronted with a bunch of crazies that are pointing fingers at you while you're just praying the rosary, I want to tear their faces off. Okay. In my heart, I, I feel that. And I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that in a tough guy way. I'm, I'm ashamed of that. Okay. But then I watch Father Fidelis. And then I watched the Sisters of Life. And then I watched the, the Franciscan sisters that are there. And I watch all those good people, okay? And I see their stillness while they're getting berated and cursed at and the finger pointing in their face. And thank God it never came to it, some sort of violence, okay, uh, perpetrated on them. It's, it's the exact example of what you're talking about, Kristen. That stillness of Mary, we're just very lovingly, charitably, compassionately they're not just praying for the moms that are going into the Planned Parenthood they're not just praying for the babies they're praying for all these crazies that are that are that are confronting them right in front of them with a stillness that disarms those people because they don't know what to do in the yep. face of that stillness they're not getting the reaction that they want that they could put on social media which mm -hmm. is a jamoke like me punching them in the face mm -hmm. you, you you know where I'm going with that and I think yeah. it's a great example what do you what do you think of that yeah, that's exactly right. And what you just described, that scene at Planned Parenthood is really what it was like at the foot of the cross, even the the crowd was jostling Jesus, throwing things at him, making fun of him constantly. And he and Our Lady never gave them the reaction that they wanted. They never gave them that satisfaction, which ultimately wanting to provoke someone like that is is demonic. Ultimately, that's where it comes from with, with these people trying to, to stir people up like that. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that that is absolutely right. Um, I would say also for the the gentleman that St. Joseph is another great example of this. He's known as the silent saint. Actually, Sophia, another Sophia book just published is called The Silent Knight, which uh, they use knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, um, to describe him, which I think is a really beautiful way to describe him because throughout the Gospels, he does not have a single recorded word. He said nothing. We hear of his dreams. We hear of his actions, especially. Of course, actions speak louder than words. Um the only word we can surmise that he uttered would have been at Christ's presentation in the temple where he would have said the name of Jesus because that was the role of the father was to present the name to the mm -hmm. priest. So it's just really beautiful that he, <laughs> you know, he had a great mission from God. He was one of the greatest saints, universal patron of the church, patron of families, but through his humility and through uh, imitating Mary's um, just beatific stillness as well, he did not feel the need to have a claim or, um, any sort of notoriety he just in silence serves jesus and that's an example for us all let me let me just expand the front line, with, front oh, line with joe and joe joe Pasillo, joe resinello way in the breach with Kristen van uden spokesperson for sophia institute press the book we're discussing right now listen to you know go back and listen to the rest of the interview if you're just joining us uh but the one we're discussing now is the pain of christ and the sorrow of god lenten meditations that's by father gerald van and unfortunately we have time for one more question joe resinello uh, I, I was going to talk about the hidden life, but I want to get to the two thieves. I think it's very important. And Father Van, in his book, The Pain of Christ and the Sorrow of God, Lenten Meditations, talks about the two thieves, what they teach us about the glory of God. I just want to make this comment. I think the two thieves represent all of us. Um, and to give people a chance, sometimes people surprise you. To be honest with you, I surprised many people and mm -hmm. like like god gives people a chance let's talk about that that little aspect of uh golgotha Kristen, because i think it's important i think a lot of people can relate to it Kristen, we have we have uh just about two minutes left because i want to leave a little time for you to let everybody know the books again and where they could buy them okay sounds good yeah so i think the two thieves really reflect the same themes that we saw earlier with peter versus judas and their reactions to their betrayals of our lord Peter, of course, chose to accept our Lord's forgiveness and then go on to be one of the greatest saints. Judas, of course, turned away from that forgiveness and wallowed in his self-hatred, and, and we know what happened to him. So it's kind of the same case um, with the two thieves. One of them could not forgive his own guilt and accept our Lord's divinity um, and ability to bring him to paradise, but the other had that perfect and complete faith, which we see throughout the Gospels, and even today, like you were mentioning, in people who maybe weren't even raised Catholic, they, their conversions are so sudden, like St. Paul, for example, that um, it's just this complete and utter supernatural grace that our Lord has given them. And that is enough 
um, to gain heaven. And we see that we venerate St. Dismas, the good thief, as a saint in the church who, who is in heaven, who can intercede for us, especially those who might be in a similar position to him with a, a past that they're not proud of. Um, Father Van reminds us to not be depressed or hopeless about past failures because of this, because he says that if we worry in this way about ourselves, that's actually a self-centered, selfish thing to be so wrapped up in our own failures. It's actually coming from the ego from like, oh, I should have known better. I, 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 I should have done this better. But he says, if we keep our eyes on the Lord, trying to love him better, just as the good thief did, then that's the way. And that is what we see with the walking on water too. The, um, the apostles who looked down were the ones who fell in, but those who kept their eyes on Christ were the ones who succeeded. So that's something we can take for our daily lives. Kristen Van Uden, that's a great place to end the conversation and a great conversation it was. Tell everybody the books, where they could buy them, please. Yeah, so the three titles that we are recommending for Lenten meditations are What Jesus Saw from the Cross and 33 Years in the Holy Land, which is actually the prequel to what Jesus saw from the cross by Father A.G. Sertilanges, and then The Pain of Christ and the Sorrow of God by Father Gerald Van. Uh, these are all reprints from the 1940s or 50s, actually, so they're time-tested. Um, they were beloved by generations of Catholics, priests, laity alike. Uh, you can find them at sophiainstitute.com, not Amazon. <laughs> not Amazon. sophiainstitute.com, sophiainstitute.com. Kristen Van Uden, thank you for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. And we want to thank you all out there for listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. Go on the website veritascatholic.com veritascatholic.com and you can give some feedback if you love us hate us or anywhere in between let us know and if you want to help out joe and i on social media you can go to youtube the frontline tv the frontline tv or go to our website thefrontlinetv.com thefrontlinetv.com thank you all again and remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere we'll talk to you soon